the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The book of Job holds out for us an amazing truth. Simply put, saving faith is not fragile. It's one of the most robust, hardiest things you could ever come up with. And that's what we're looking at next here on Abounding Grace. From Reformed Heritage Church right here in San Jose, hi there, and welcome. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Our time today will return us to the book of Job. We're looking once again at chapter 16, where Job cries out to God in response to Eliphaz, who has tried to tear him a new one, telling him that he doesn't understand his God. And therein lies the hope that we see held out in Job 16. While the world may be against us, our God is always for us, no matter the circumstances. For the details, here's Pastor Gary Wagner on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Paul says, what clearing of yourself. In other words, I don't want self-justification. I'm truly done with this thing. I have forsaken it. He says, what indignation. I loathe myself that I have have sinned against God like I did. What fear, a fear of displeasing God, fear of falling into that sin again. He says, what vehement desire, desire for righteousness, for holiness, for walking with God more closely. What zeal, he says, zeal for God, real zeal for holiness. And then he says, yea, what avenging of wrong. Wow, that's tough. He's talking about self-revenge. You know, there's a sense in which a Christian, when, when you see what you have done to God by your sins, you don't walk around patting yourself on the back and saying, I'm great, look at me, I'm repenting of my sins. No, it's like the prophet Ezekiel said. You are going to loathe yourself when you remember your sins. Now, I I realize there are no sermons probably preached today on how to loathe yourself in three easy steps. And we don't want to hear that kind of thing. But that's merely because there was too much preaching of men looking at men. Men being highly esteemed instead of us all looking at our holy God and remembering that the goal of his discipline in our lives is to humble us. That we may be made partakers of his holiness. That we may never go back to those sins again. Men, if you have come to a conviction of lust in your life or various other things... The way you can know you have repented of it is when you close all the windows 
and you close all the doors to that sin and you lock and you throw away the key and you don't go back. And the same thing is true of our sins of worry, our sins of discontent and any sins of addictions to make us feel good or even the sins of pride or adulation. And remember, real repentance is Godward. It doesn't say, well, what do I have to do to make my pastor happy with me again? It is what do I have to do to be right with God? Because the only opinion that matters, it's not my parents, and it's not my preacher, and it's not my friends, and it's not my spouse. It's not really even the people that I have sinned against. It is God. He is the one with whom I have to deal. And we see the Lord dealing with Job in this way here. He is repentant. He's a broken man. He worshiped the Lord when everything was taken away from him. And his heart is breaking. Lord, can't you just leave him alone? Lord, why not help him? Now, we know what was going on behind the scenes with the devil and God. I won't get into any of that now. But the Lord is also dealing with Job as his child and as his servant. And Job, as, a godly, as the godly man as he was, he, he needed to see God's majesty more. He needed to see more of his own lowliness and of his own filth. And that his wisdom was nothing but dust in comparison to God's. And his sufferings taught him this. Notice there in verse 15, he was covered in sackcloth. And then it says, he defiled my horn, which in the King James Version means that everything that was on high, that was high and mighty about him before, is now simply dust. He says, my face is red from weeping. My eyes have the look of death. You see, Job is saying here, I've been completely overthrown by the Lord, completely, and I'm sure I deserve it. Now, we would never say, Lord, would you please treat me like this this week? It would just be so great. Of course, we don't think like that. It would be foolish. But if we are his children, we can expect nights of weeping we can expect certain times of testing and shifting, be, sifting because the Lord will break us down that we may be humbled before Him and be joyful in Him and desire to obey Him more fervently. So don't forget that when the Lord sifts us and He tries us, when it is our time to suffer, He doesn't do any good to run around like screaming children. Oh, it's my wife's fault. It's my husband's fault. It's my boss's fault. No, just fall into the hands of the living God and say, Lord, you have done this. I don't know why, but I know you have. All I know is that you have brought this into my life. And so now I need to seek you. I need to repent. I need to get on my face and I need to stay there. I need to learn obedience like Jesus did by my suffering. Job concludes in verses 17 through 22 basically by saying, If only I could plead with God. Now it may seem here in verse 27 that Job is trying to justify himself when he says, Not for my injustice in my hands, also, my prayer is pure. 
but I don't think that is what he's trying to do because that would fly in the face of so many things that he's already said. I think he is simply saying, I'm not aware of any gross wickedness in my life. And he follows that up in verse 18 with, If I'm guilty of any violence or injustice, all earth, don't cover my blood. If I'm guilty of anything, let it be known. Job understood that the land is defiled by the wickedness of its inhabitants, just like the United States of America is defiled by the blood we have shed on other shores, on these shores, like the blood of unborn murdered babies, or whatever it may be. Job understood this. The land itself is defiled by the blood and the wickedness of its inhabitants. And so Job said, if I'm guilty of this, Lord, I am willing to suffer. And he calls on the earth and says, I am willing to suffer. But he goes higher. In verse 19, he says, behold, my witness is in heaven. This shows us something of faith's courage and adversity. Job hauls himself up before God. He calls on the earth and he says, earth, if I'm guilty, don't cover my blood. Demand my blood be spilled. And even though Job has spoken of God as his enemy, at a deeper level, his faith knows I, I'm right with God. God has been working in my life. It's like Paul will say later in 1 Corinthians 15, Yet not I, but by the grace of God in me. Job says, my witness is in heaven. He says, God will bear witness for me. He has a record of my faith and my godliness. It is written in his book. And this, I believe, shows us how great a man Job was, as well as the source of his agony in one line. Job says, Why, Lord, am I being so afflicted, since you will bear witness to my godly life? I recognize the Lord has done this to me. God, it feels like you are my enemy, but on another level, I know you will bear witness that I have lived, not a perfect life. But I have confessed myself to be a sinner. But I know if I tried to justify myself, there are a thousand things, Lord, that you can bring up against me. And he says, Lord, if there is something hidden in my life, why won't you show it to me? The Lord knows I love him. He says in verse 20, you know, my friends scorn me. What am I going to do now? Now, let this line make your hair stand up on end. With everything Job said, God is my enemy, I'm weeping, he says, I will pour out my tears to God. I'm going to go to the one whom I feel like has become my enemy. We should stand in awe of God's working in the lives of his children. On the one hand, Job was crushed, broken, shot by arrows, stomped by giant. But on the other hand, what can he do? but to go to God and beg for mercy and cry. That is all he could do. You know, he anticipates Asaph's words in the Psalms. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There's no one on earth that I desire but you. You know, if we lose confidence in our favorite restaurant or we lose confidence in a good friend, eventually we're going to go looking for someone else. Some people treat their church home like this. 
or even their faith like this. We are a fickled people. But when God presses us with trials, we cannot. We must not grow bitter against Him and turn against Him at all. We must confess, the Lord has done this. So, He must desire to bring me closer to Himself. We may even feel with Job that somehow God has become my enemy. Or he's got something against me that he's not telling me. But he, he won't leave me. Beloved, there is nowhere else to go. And that's why Job, that's what makes Job's faith here so courageous and so beautiful. Because remember, this is no soliloquy. Job is probably sobbing as he is saying these things. God has become my enemy. But I'm going to cry to my enemy. I'm going to cry to my God because I know, I know at some level faith lays hold of God's promises. And even in the darkest night, and, and even in the darkest night, and he says, I know my Redeemer lives. Though he slay me, I will trust him. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So even if it looks to me like God has become my enemy, I know he's not. So I'm going to cry to Him. And we must do the same thing. Whatever the Lord brings into our life, we must say to ourselves, I need to cry to Him. If it is my time to get the disease, if it is my time to come into some other kind of trouble, if it is my time to have difficulty with my marriage or my children or my finances... If it, is my, if, it is time, if it is my time for persecution, whatever it may be, I am going to cry to the Lord because somehow behind the storm, we know God loves His children. And if you have faith, you see yourself always in God's hand. I'm going to recognize His smiling face through it all because I know He loves me even in the midst of these storms that he has brought. Is this you? Can you say, I would rather be disciplined by the Lord than to be left alone by him? Or say, I would rather be chastened by him than to be left in my sin? Job is feeling, I have had sweet fellowship with God my Father. I have offered sacrifices to him. I love him. I don't understand why he's beating me right now. But I do know he loves me. His friends don't have anything worthwhile to say to him. But at the end of the day, with all of that, he says, I'm not going to curse God. I'm not going to do what my wife told me to do and curse God and die. I'm going to pour out my tears to the Lord. There's nothing else for me to do. I have nowhere else to go, which is, remember, where the Lord wants us. At one level, Job was confident that in the midst of all of his misery, God was loving him anyway. In verse 7, quickly, Job says, my prayer was pure. Now, I don't think that means he thought his prayer was perfect. I just think it means he was confident that he walked with God and that he was upright and sincere. You know, we can be confident of God's work in us, even if we are aware of our failings. But I do believe Job goes too far in verse 21. I think probably he probably does when he says, 
Oh, that man might plead with God as a man pleads with his neighbor. Now, if all that Job wanted here was that old nearness he had with God, that old fellowship he had with him, that would be great. But he wants to plead with God familiarly, like a man to a man. And that's going too far. Because in his grief, he has forgotten something. And we often forget the same thing. And that is, we cannot debate with God. And by the way, that will be the lesson of chapters 38 through 42. Where it says, Shh, Job, don't debate with me. Don't question me. Behold my majesty. Behold my glory. Now we can anticipate now what God's answer to Job will be in those chapters. Job, I love you, but you can't debate with me. You're a creature. You were made for me, and you were made by me. I am high and holy, wise and sovereign, just and true, and you need to be quiet and wait upon me to make clear what I want to make clear to you. But there are many, many things that you can't handle, and I'm never going to make them clear to you. You just need to be quiet and wait upon me. Trust in me. Verse 22, then, Job says, But I am dying, Lord. In a few years, my life will pass, and I will not return. Now, Job isn't giving a philosophy of death here. He is simply saying, my grief is killing me. Lord, please answer me before I'm suffocated and I drowned in my tears. I think one of the main lessons of this chapter for us is very simple, and that is, we must trust the Lord. I know that is very basic, but it is so common in Scripture. It says, the just shall walk by faith. God is not bound to explain why you have the husband you have, or the wife you have, or the children you have, or the job you have, or the boss, or the finances. God is not bound to explain why I feel the way I do, why I have the emotional problems that I have, why I have the friends that I do, why my friends have the problems that they do. God is not bound to explain any of that to us. He has given us His Son, and that will have to be enough for us, beloved. When we suffer, Jesus Christ and the consolations we have in Him ought to be enough for us. What are those consolations that Job didn't even know about, and yet he cried out to God? Beloved, we have heaven opened to us. We have a Savior who suffered and died for us, and He sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. Because he has been tempted in everything just like we have been. But you have to believe that. Do you? That's what scripture says. He has been tempted in every way. And some of us think, well, the gospels don't speak of my particular temptation. Well, just remember what John said. If everything that Jesus said and did went, went that everything he went through were written down, the entire globe could not contain all of the books. And you know what? I really don't think that's hyperbole. I think he is stating a straightforward fact. In all points, Christ was tempted. Don't you think Satan was hurling temptations at him all the time? There was no rest for Christ. 
Even after the big temptation of Matthew 4, it said Satan left him for a more convenient time. Satan was always waiting. His enemy was watching. And now the Savior has conquered every single temptation. And he tells us, come to me and I will help you. Come to me and I will help you. I stand at the head of the course, the forerunner within the veil. I have opened heaven for you by a new and living way through my flesh. He says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And that was on the night he was to go to the cross, beloved. Yes, in this world, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. Because he says, I have overcome those tribulations. He speaks similar to David. Before David wins his victory over Goliath, he looks by faith at God's promises to him and says, I have overcome you. Be of good cheer, brethren. This should be enough for us, that God shall be victorious over his enemies. If it's not enough for us, We need to go back and learn our first principles again. That every word of God is pure. And that he is a shield to those who trust in him. Remember Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is our strength and he is our shield. So our burdens can be very heavy. And I realize that some of you are carrying heavier burdens than you want to share with any of us. But remember, the Lord says, call upon me and cast your cares upon me because I care for you. And so the way forward in our troubles, beloved, is to have fellowship with our God. To remember that he is carrying us and our burdens and we must abide in his word. Beloved, just trust him. You know, we live in an age that wants answers to everything. You know, everything has a book for dummies. But let me tell you something about the living God. There is no book, God, for dummies. Because God is so high and so holy and so wise and so good and so true. And he knows all the secrets of our hearts and the way We know him is to submit to him and to trust his promises and to look to his son, Jesus Christ. That is the way we know him. And beloved, that is the way we move forward. There is no, well, you know, I'll find a solution somewhere. Some doctor will be able to figure this all out. Some teacher, some counselor, some psychiatrist, some preacher, some person somewhere will be able to know. Not necessarily. Now, I know that's our culture. There has got to be an answer to this. The answer is just. Put your hand on your mouth and be quiet and trust the Lord. The longer I live, I realize that is the answer to most of my problems. Just be quiet. Be still and know that I am God. Yes, go see a doctor. See a counselor. But remember 
The Lord Jesus Christ brings trouble into our lives so that we cry out to Him. So that we trust in Him to bring us through. And so that we remember that He is sovereign control of all things. For His glory and for the good of all those who set their love on Him. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, you know the beginning to the end. Everything is in your hand. Help us to remember this when trials come into our lives so that we can trust that all will be well. Oh, how can we doubt that you will bring good out of every situation in our life? Help us not to fear what may come in the future, but instead remember But help us to remember that you are with us always. And that nothing can touch a hair on our heads unless you allow it. And you will only allow it if it is best for us to shape us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And keep us clinging to you. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace.